Hi, and welcome to a small, medium, at large podcast, bringing you intimate stories that heal. We want to thank you all for subscribing, liking, commenting, and sharing our shows with your friends and family. I want to thank my family who produces the show that they continue to keep doing this. I think this is going to be show number 50. I'm not sure exactly, but pretty close. It'll either be 50 or 51. So we've come a ways. We're really happy with all the interesting guests we've had. So let me tell you about the two special guests we're having today. Christina Donnell, PhD, is a classically trained clinical psychologist, author, and spiritual teacher who studied Eastern traditions and the shamanic energies of the Cairo Indians of Peru for nearly three decades. She has experienced a lifetime of what would consider phenomenal occurrences, including her own near-death experiences, deep transcendent state of consciousness, and interdimensional communications with beings who have crossed over from their human lives. She is the founding director of Winds of Change, a Minneapolis-based educational organization offering programs that cultivate humanity's evolving consciousness. Her multiple award-winning first book, Transcendent Dreaming, Stepping into Our Own Human Potential, a foray into the quantum nature of the human body chronicles her radical spiritual awakening through a form of dreaming that expands consciousness, allowing dreamers to identify with the intelligence that animates the universe. Her most recent book, Encounters with Living Language, Surrendering to the Power of Words, awakens readers to the intrinsic energy of language, where we can experience its multidimensional transmissions, connecting us to the oneness that underlies all of life. Her book provides a riveting account of these discoveries and an invitation for readers to welcome an embodied experience with living language and explore the dormant places within them still waiting to waken. Christina Donnell maintains a consultation practice teaches, and speaks worldwide. Her lyrical prose and audio series are fused with transmissions of the unseen, captivating audiences of all ages. She is a finalist in the 2023 Next Generation Indie Book Award in nonfiction inspirational category. For information about Christina Donald's books and courses and Winds of Change Association, visit capital C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, capital D-O-N-N-E-L-L.com. Of course, this will also be on our information on our site, but just for those of you who are listening and not watching on YouTube, that's how you'll be able to connect to her. Also joining us today is Juliet Hanauer. Juliet has been a truth seeker her entire adult life. To that end, she has traveled around the world filming spiritual healers and traditions. She has invited many of these healers to participate in Ruth Inga Hines's shamanism conference, which for years she and I helped organize together in California. As part of the conference, Juliet invited American physicians to work alongside these indigenous healers in American hospitals. Juliet <laughs> is in Alberta, Canada and teaches Qigong. In today's program, Juliet Hanauer a longtime student of Christina Donnell will join me in interviewing our guest. My first question is, let's welcome you here today. Welcome, Juliet. Welcome, Christina. 
I'm Thank ready you. to go right into my first question. So happy to have you here today. I can say hello. Wait, I have to say hello, dear sisters. Hello. This is a sister's interview today. It is. It is. My first question for you, Christina. Yes. Get into things about your book. I want to get a little personal about your own life. And I ask this to all my guests as, as often as I can. As a child, did you have mystical presentiment experiences and dreaming? Or when did you start down this path? And was your family supportive or an influence in this area? Mm. Mm. Okay. I grew up in Detroit during the civil rights riots. Born in nine, 1962, 1968, my father was a Detroit cop. During the, during the civil rights movement, I recall being at a gathering while all the police were putting on all their riot gear and holding my mother's hand. And I felt the palpable fear. And at the age of five, I would go to bed at night, probably born into the world with a mystical temperament mm -hmm. and lucid and transcendent dreaming. I would go to bed at night and get my comfort from sitting on the lap of an African-American woman, full pendulous breast, full bodied singing spirituals. And those spirituals were so in the lucid dreaming, so deep, I simply became one with them. And at the age of six, first grade, I wrote my first book, six wow. pages. And guess what? The six pages were, they were spiritual, you know, African-American spirituals of which the teachers and my parents were like, where did these come from? And I'm like, at that, it's, that was a normal reality for me. And I'm like, well, they, I didn't know at that time to say they came from my dream time. I'm just like, I don't know. I just know them. And so now in reflection, I go, oh, yes, of course, born into the world to be the womb of the unseen into the scene. And it's been a lifelong path, but it started very early. And was your family supportive or they like I find with some people, the family doesn't want to know anything about those things and they don't uh, support the child. And in some other families, they support the child and they bring them to, you know, listen to gospel music or things to expand right. their horizon. Right. And I'm wondering, did you have that kind of a family? Well, no, this is like Midwest, all American. And they're like, okay, fine. And life goes on. So it wasn't that it was supportive and it wasn't that it was unsupportive. Well, that's, I think that's a good, healthy environment. Well, it, it allowed for development 
along the everyday consensual reality, while another reality was clearly my nourishment and my nectar, of which at that age, you don't even know that. I wonder if your father was um, intuitive at all or anything, because we find some people that work in the police departments seem to have gut level and intuitive experiences and follow them. Others are just being a policeman, but some have an actual inner gut level experience being a police officer. Did you? I, that thank you. Thank you, Gail, because both my parents are dead and I feel a complete heartfelt resonance to my father of whom I remember one, do not reach under the seat because there were firearms under the seat. And two, his absolute emotional response to pulling someone over, a young man with a young family on December 24th, New Year's Eve for a DWI and him like really kind of he wasn't crying, but the, dis the dismay of having to be an officer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was all zipped up. And yet, I feel like in the line of mediumship and psychic ability, probably comes down the paternal line. And I, list, I just have to add that I have those images of Detroit and those riots. Oh, yes. Because my sister and I were at home in New York and my cousin Paul came to visit who lives in Detroit. And he invited us to jump in his car and go back with him because it was summertime to Detroit. And I was a little girl. And you were in New York City, right? Yes. New York City and Detroit, yes. And when we drove to Detroit and he drove us by, I had never, it's... Just when you say it, it's an image I can't ever leave in my mind, seeing all these burning buildings and streets and streets with broken store. I mean, it was an image that blew my mind to see such uh, anger and destruction and, you know, what was really going on in our world at the time. Yeah, but yes. And Gail. It was an energy you don't forget. It, it's an energy you don't forget. And living in Minneapolis and George Floyd, everyone knows about George Floyd, but what they don't know is that 200 buildings burned as a result of the rioting, including police and uh, uh, postal offices and restaurants, and, and we are still recovering. So yes, this is just something that if you live urban, you're in the thick of the movements that have a lot of violence. So you really were coming up in the age when all of these things were, you know, I'm a little older than you, but still it's all- Not by much, not by much. <laughs> it's all very fresh, even though it was so long ago, we can touch on that. Yes. So, yes. so I, I think that's a very good opening as to how you've led yourself into this particular area of your life. You really have always been doing it and was born into it. So yes. I, I'm going to ask one question and then I'm going to let Juliet start in about your book. But what I wanted to ask our listeners, uh, ask you to explain to our <laughs> listeners is 
what you mean by living language and being a mouthpiece for language. I loved that, reading that in your book, a mouthpiece for language. And I just had this whole image of you, like a cartoon character or something with one of these things, you know, like a, a bullhorn thing coming out and you're saying <laughs> all these things. <laughs> it was really cute. So, that, and then we'll switch to Juliet for some questions about your book. But I just was wondering if you could share with our listeners because some may not know what you mean by living language. Uh, of course, of course. It, it, it may even be a new term. And hmm, this is what I mean by living language. As I speak about in the book, right? I wrote my first book at, at six years old. I've always had a love of language, but it wasn't until a near-death experience in Peru in 2012, although I had intimations, this was all coming, where in the near-death experience, at that cross, that threshold where you can just move to the other side or not, and you have no control, I heard I heard vision, call it what you want, illumination, vision. I am the illumination of the light behind the world and living language. You are now supposed to do what you have been here to do. Be the mouthpiece for living language which is the only reason this book is in the world. And subsequent to that, I experienced 92 illuminations around living language. And what I say living language is, is when, and this is what's hard because I think it's a evolutionary, living language is when your mind no longer conceptualizes language as subject object, mm -hmm. you know, concrete, linear time. That recedes and you experience the spoken word or the written word, not from conceptual mind, but from a somatic sensory experience where it goes so much deeper and returns to silence and you see the living roots or the archetypal unseen behind every word that now begins to be in the room. And because it's in the room and you have a direct knowing of it, it changes the exchange. That is living language to me. And that's what our listeners this is what propelled you to write this book it, it is that sent those that question yes 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 and juliet are you ready for a question i am okay let's let we haven't heard from juliet let's welcome her <laughs> she's in canada you're in uh minneapolis minneapolis Sebastopol, and you're in canada. in california we got all the bases covered Yes. They do. Like a triangle. Right. Yes. Um, your first book, 
transcendent dreaming was about having illuminations of a form, but at night while you were sleeping. And your second book, Encounters with Living Language, is about having illuminations during the day. You don't need to sleep to have them. What is the difference between the two? Are they the same thing? Except one is at night and one is at day? It's a beautiful question. Beautiful question. And I would say this, I've been a transcendent dreamer for a lifetime. And yes, transcendent dreaming is different than lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming is that you awaken within the dream and, and you have the ability actually to control the dream. There's a, there's a huge increase in luminosity. And with lucid dreaming, you can be in multiple places at once and you can control the dream. But in transcendent dreaming, it has all of that, except you can't control the dream because when you enter, your consciousness enters the space, it moves beyond the form of the dream, you're awake within the dream, and the consciousness moves to the energy behind the form of the dream, which is the intelligence that forms all of creation. And so I've had a lifetime, I'm 60 years old, of this kind of dreaming, and it, it required knocking me out, being asleep, to have that experience. Oh, I didn't realize that. And then this book, Encounters with the Living Language, was the evolution of that, where I no longer needed to be asleep. I could actually, you know, after what, 30 years of meditation and have the experience in the everyday moment. Yes. And so the difference between the two is it's the same. You move into the connectedness of the oneness in our everyday world that is behind the manifest world but it's from an awake state. Ah, yeah. Wow, that's a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's so clear and so detailed. It, it's, it's an, right? It's, it's just the maturation of a life of being a midwife of the unseen into the scene. And I think many of us are that. We go by many names. You know, we are mystics, we are prophets, we are poets, we are teachers, we are astrologers. We remain nameless, but we are on the planet to bring forth the unseen into the scene. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm so glad to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to shamanism, right? <laughs> Right, right, right. We're both, we're all wombs for the unseen to the manifest world, right? Yes. yes. I, I have felt that personally that I am a womb for the universe because everything yes. that I know directly comes through my womb. 
up to my face and then out to the world. Yes. 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 Is it possible to have illuminations all the time to live as illuminated beings? Because you said that in your book, you don't have a choice. They take over you. Yes. Is it possible just to live every day as illuminated human being? It's a, that is a beautiful question. And what I would say for myself at 60 is that an illumination comes from the outside. It has a governing aim. And when it comes in, it, it changes the quality and the structure of your awareness. There's a heightening of sensation. There's a heightening of lucidity of the moment. And it unfolds and whatever unfolds is not through the conceptual mind, it's through the somatic sensory of the body. And then, you, then because of that, there's an expanded consciousness and you can have prophetic, clairvoyant, telepathic moments, right? That's an illumination. And I have no control over when they come. But I'm going to say this. We have a younger generation of autistic children, non-speakers, adolescent and young adult that are learning something called letter boarding, where they can actually have a conversation of what is going on in their consciousness. And it's extraordinary because I do think they, are, they were born onto the planet living from this place. Wow. And I might say, yeah. it's such a hard place to live from. Yes. That they're not adaptive, right? In the term we call adaptive in our consensual reality under our you know, power lines we all live. So we, we, we call that not adaptive. And yet, as they start to speak, they're absolutely talking about as, as individuals, although they don't easily see that they've individuated, they're talking from quantum space. They're talking about their awareness can be in multiple places at once. They have been non-speaking for 15 years and are barely functioning. And yet, when you can, they start letterboarding, parents begin to know, they know five or six languages they've never been exposed to. Mm. They have knowledge beyond the, the everyday linear world. And to me, this is the extraordinary beauty of how human consciousness evolves. And we might call this a mutation, but I might call it a potential for the evolution in human consciousness. And as you know, I've trained for 30 years with a Carol and they have a prophecy that their teachings are about who we are becoming 10,000 years from now. 
from homo yeah. sapien to homo luminous. And, you know, as I just mm, sip and vibe and nurture the, these teachings, I'm witnessing it unfold. And of course, we're not 10,000 years from now, but it's happening on the planet. Yes. You talk a lot about the true power of words. What about illuminations that have no words? Does that make them less powerful? No. Okay. No. No. Because there's something about an illumination that comes from the outside that, that increase in luminosity There is an absorption of the unseen world, the womb, right? The womb that is occurring that becomes manifest. It doesn't matter whether it's through the word. And yet, at the end of the day, my book is about, oh my goodness, our everyday spoken and written word can bring us here also. Because everyone says you have to, language has to recede or it has to move. Well, guess what? Conceptualizing needs to recede, but language has been here from the big bang in the cosmos. In the beginning was silence. In the beginning was silence. And then there was the word. The cosmos exploded, the word. And the, the word. The word, all the way down to our spoken and written exchanges. And of course, in the book, I talk about that. I have therapy sessions where extraordinary forces and energy are in the room that are unseen, avail themselves for healing. Yes. I want to add something about the autistic children and the letter board. Yes, yes. Um, what we recently have a family member, so we are now looking more into this autism and not having known much about it. And I had a guest, um, Henny Cooperstein, I think was her name. And she's an autistic woman who discovered that she could she can sing in the in the in the in the pitch. She called her book is the pitch of singing in the pitch of autism or so, I can't remember. I'm so my memory's fading, but. She talks about she has no memory. adults who did not speak and she plays piano with them. And through music, she's able to open them up to become speaking people, speaking autistic people who had not spoken. And it's through the music that they connect. So do you think music and language, do you think they're the same thing? It's just that music is a language that everyone knows because there's no uh, there's no words that need to be matched to it. It's just a matter of listening. Do you think music is the same as this kind of a thing where it can affect people that way? I, I, I love this question because the gift of music, even if it has lyric, is that you can sit down and listen to it, you put it in your ears and you just absorb it and you can become the music. And language is a little more difficult because the, the conceptual mind is forward. And for centuries, we've only used language to represent 
subject object this is its meaning and we cut it off and you know what my book is talking about is language speaks language is evolving we have failed language because it has so much more to offer because it can offer us the same transporting experience that music can and i love and i absolutely agree I, I see in these non young adults, adolescent young adults who are learning to speak, they, they say be, from a place of what is their truth, their I, their I, right? It's not an I, it's a, it's a quantum reality. They, they say things. I've had two young autistic speakers. Their mothers read the first two chapters of the book. And these autistic speakers on Letterboard said, and, and definitively, thank you for writing this book. And then they're like, I'm the space that rattles people. I am the space that rattles rattles, rattles people. That is who I am. That's what I do. That's why I'm here. Another, a 24-year-old young East Indian man is like, I'm the space that soars and falls. And then he had a number of questions. I am that. I, I am that. That is where I am receiving the world from. So uh, this is a whole new possibility in the world. Gail, do you want to ask some more questions? Uh, I, well, I did want to ask some questions about uh, death in Peru, unless we want to, you have something in between we need to ask. Shall um, I, I, ask? Can, I have more questions, but I can ask them after well, your question. Go ahead and then I'll ask about my okay. death questions after. Okay. <laughs> What is there a connection between an illuminated, illumined state and love? Mm. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Because in that illuminative state where there's a higher lucidity, there is an increase in sensation where the quality and the structure of awareness changes, the structure of awareness shifts. Like the eye recedes, the linear recedes, and it recedes into the felt sense of the connection of the oneness underneath all of creation. It does it automatically. Illumination creates that experience. And that's why I say, Illuminations are just an extension of some evolutionary process that is working through different people to be on the planet. And it is not the norm. It's probably what? five percent maybe you add the aspect uh, the, the autism spectrum in there but but there are many of us 
who have been the precursors for this. This is what it means to be the womb from the unseen to the scene. It's showing us a different way the awareness can be connected like somatic sensory wise to the whole and it absolutely feels like the definition of love yes. because you have a love of the gift of life and because the luminosity is increased you know you feel it um you notice that you don't use the word enlightenment you use the word illuminated yes is there a reason for that Mm. Or are they different? What, like, what is enlightenment? Exactly. Right? What is enlightenment? I mean, to me, we are all voyagers in consciousness, and it just deepens through a lifetime. But what at the like is and this is like. What is enlightenment? Is that something that people need to try and attain? Because guess what? As soon as your will wants to attain it, you're never going to attain it. It has to. <laughs> the will has to recede in order for the yes. awakening to occur. And then yes. is that awakening enlightenment? And then people are going to judge that. And then, and then we're just back into conceptual language. Yes. Yes. What word would you use to describe a non-illuminated state of living? Well, I, yeah, that's a great question. Isn't every state illuminated to a certain degree? Not everyone. <laughs> well, it's illuminated to a certain degree because the shard of light that is the breath in every human soul is a light on the planet. So there are probably different degrees of illumination, yes. but I would say in the perfect unfolding of creation, every plant, tree, animal, planet, hot, cosmic universe, human is in a state of some illumination. Okay. Because illumination to me is the light shard that is exists inside of you. And then how it is in relationship to the rest is another story. All right. So am I correct in understanding when you're saying, and I've always thought this about enlightenment also, like you have to attain this, you have to work for <laughs> this, you've right. got to do these different things to get to the enlightened state. It sounds, that sounds to me like, you know, you're striving and striving or something for something. Right, right. And, and what, now you've reached something. Now you are enlightened, right? Right. Or you now, are awakened. But illumination, that sounds more the correct term to explain the experiences that spontaneously are happening to people. And some of them, because they have near-death experiences, after that, they start having a lot more illuminating kind of experiences. 
or things that you were saying, you never ask for illumination. You say it just comes to you, it just happens. Yes. It's natural. It's natural. You cannot will it. You cannot right. will it. I, that really I, that really hits home for me. I really, mm -hmm. I thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. In your book, you talk about your near-death experience and you said how sublime it was and that it was hard to come back to a sick body. Mm -hmm. But do you think it's possible to live in that sublime state before you die on earth? And let me ask, did you choose to come back? Yeah, oh, those are, <laughs> oh, you, know, you know, I can never do two questions at once. <laughs> but I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try. I absolutely, like I have no control over an illumination. I have no control over a transcendent dreaming. I had no control over my near-death experience. And had I had control, I would have left because I felt so ill. And I was like, I can, I'm not afraid of death. I've done a lot of work at medical centers with people on life support where I journey and move into, for the family members, where their loved one is on life support to help them make a really hard decision. And I've so I've been on that threshold that is so, that threshold where you cross over. And I talk about it in Transcendent Dreaming. And I felt like it was a training in, in you know, my early years of being on that threshold and being held where it's so exhilarating and everything about you wants to move to it. And yet you are here. And in those moments I had control, but in my near death experience, I had absolutely no control. And had I had control, I would have crossed. I, I have, I, I love that rite of passage that we all will go through, but I had no control. What happened was I had this illumination, this illuminative light come in that said, I'm the original light behind living language and it's time for you to do what you were here to do and be a mouthpiece for language. And then I came tumbling back down into a very ill body. No control over that experience, none. I'd like and I didn't know what that even meant because the 92 illuminations about living language came after that. Oh, I see. I'd like to segue into some of your illuminations. In some, language comes through you and it's a language that you don't speak and don't know, such as Latin. Yes. How do you figure out what those words are and how do you even write them down? Uh, that, yeah, and how do you even write them down? You know what? I don't have an answer for that. I can propose one. Do you ever record that when it's happening? Somatics. Language is recorded? 
Her screen is frozen. Yeah. No. Okay, she's back. You were frozen, so start again. Uh. <laughs> oh no, I can never start again. No. <laughs> okay, just start keep again. going. <laughs> we're talking about Latin. How did you figure out what those Latin words meant? Okay, we'll start again. I don't profess to know, but when the conceptual mind recedes and the somatic sensory system absorbs, it, it, it is, it's absorbing Latin or Quechua or Sanskrit or another language like music. And it's still coming to a place of knowing. And I don't think this is that different from what I just mentioned about the non-speaker autistic spectrum that all of a sudden, because they can letterboard, they know languages they've never been introduced to. Uh -huh. I think we can absorb knowledge and information in ways that are not through the conceptual mind. And I think many, I would say a third of the 92 illuminations were foreign languages. And yet, as I was absorbed and became one with them, I was in the complete knowing. And I can't explain that because it's not conceptual. As I, as I would say, or as a client of mine would say, it didn't come from my butt brain, <laughs> my <laughs> conceptual brain. <laughs> Yeah, but there was also the story of being able to swim with a pod of dolphins. Yes. And being able to negotiate sonar. Yes. And be a pod member. Yes. That must have been exquisite. Oh, it was extraordinary because it just, you know, as I said in the book, the 92 illuminations felt like they had a governing aim they were changing the quality and structure of awareness. I didn't know that early on, but you know, after 40, you're like, something is definitely going on. And <laughs> that particular dream was to be in the sonar experience of a pod that is not a me cosmology, but a we cosmology. And yes. then moving through the ocean, navigating all of that in a unitive way was again, laying down the somatic sensory system, a new awareness and experience. Yes, and I also, also wanna bring in the dream with the indigenous woman where she whispers to you, we are the same dream. We are as the water of the first days in pattern. The dream line must never be broken. And then mm -hmm. your, your great love, so, do you pronounce his name Santi? Santi, yeah, Santiago, Santi, yes. Yeah, so he was also sitting next to her while she was telling you this. And yes. What does that mean to you? And when we say sitting, we're talking that both of these are people in spirit, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. There's an illumination. <laughs> an illumination. Yeah. And Santi was there in my near-death experience. Yes. 
I, I want to ask something about this speaking in other languages, because I've had these two, I've had those experiences. And uh, one of them has to do with whenever I've had this Kundalini experience, yes, my body turns into like a, a almost like a like having a tunnel or something my whole body opens it up like a tube and all this stuff is coming through and flying out over the head I end up speaking in other languages but I'm not familiar with what they are in one incident I was in a dome in um, a retreat center in Oregon and it turned out that I was speaking and I could hear that it was was speaking in different languages and some of them sounded like Native American language, others sounded like uh, uh, Hindi or some other, these kind of things. And I'm listening to them and I don't know where the sound is coming from. I don't know, it's my voice, but I don't know how it's making these words or sounds. But I found that later there were parts of those deceased people in the building I was in. So there was some hair or nails and some ashes and I'm wondering, is it them speaking through me or I'm not sure? And then I'll ask you, and then I wanna ask a sexual question related to speaking in other languages. Oh my God, so we got Julia, we have that question and a third. You are really pushing me. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say, dear sister, that is your mediumship. That is the uh -huh. gift of mediumship. That is absolute mediumship. Mm -hmm. which okay. is which is which is in the same category of illumination it's it's yes it's all birthing the unseen into the scene and what i would say to juliet before we go to whatever sexuality question uh <laughs> i want to come back to the woman in the in the in the book that juliet said what would you say juliet the 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 water, because yes. this is important. It's it's what I'm speaking to. Let me repeat that little part again. She says, um, she whispers to me, we are the same dream. We are as the water of the first days in pattern. The dream line must never be broken. Yes, of course. Again, it's somatic as sensory experience with no conceptualizing. But now on the other side, I'm like, this is the breath of a new threshold of tomorrow in our culture. It is the evolution of human consciousness. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the autistic spectrum is a part of that. And then there are many of us who are the bridge bearers for centuries, but as the Carol would say in their prophecy, we're moving from homo sapien to homo luminous. We are the beginning of a new pattern. Mm -hmm. We are the beginning of, of the quantum nature in the body. And Gail, mediumship, illuminations, transcendent dreaming, your, the autistic children, poets, 
prophet, we are that new beginning. And it's a dark time on the planet. Yes. It's a really dark time on the planet, but we are here as that new beginning. And, and how and however she said it was so beautiful. We are the same dream. We are the the pattern before the pattern. Yes. And that is tells me we are the pattern before the pattern. It's just barely in emergence. We are sowing the seeds now. And also it implies some urgency. She said the line must not be broken. Yes, yes. Yes. Yes, as we as we go through climate change, as we go through increased violence, as we go through the peril of where we're at, this line must not be broken. Be a mouthpiece for this new pattern. And some of us are here to simply be that. Yes. Without being activist. Yes. I'd like to ask one more question, and I'm going to turn it over to Gail to ask her question. But I'm really curious about you talking about the harmony between your present self and your future self. Mm -hmm. The key word in that for me is harmony. Mm -hmm. I have glimpses of my future self, but it actually scares me because I'm not, my small self is not used to seeing myself so big. Yes, I yes. I see myself as big as I really am. I'm like, oh. Wow, that's really scary. So I love the word harmony. Yes, yes. And you see in the book, the struggle, you know, I, I turned to Solace from Rilke, who talked about, you know, as an extraordinary visionary poet who went through these experiences as well, speaking to interior trap doors open inside and they go further than anything you ever knew before and your consciousness changes and you and you're suddenly larger but the affection for the old everyday world duality past present future is now becoming less your mother language because there's a second language usurping it and there is a reckoning. There's a reckoning. There's a reckoning. We are not the generation that came out of the planet from an eye that is already in quantum space. We are all in our late 60s that this has been ongoing as what, what call it awakening, call it enlightening, I don't know what you call it. Um, but it's been unfolding. And so there is a reckoning between the physical body, the biochemistry, everything we know, and some structural change in awareness that is growing larger and bigger. And that is a reckoning. And Julia, we both are, have a love of the mother, you know, Sri Aurobindo's partner yes. for so many years. And yes. she speaks to this. And yes. I think it is, it's, it's a part of the transformation 
and transmutation. Yes. Of which we are, we have it on this end. And I think that the babies growing into the world have it on a different way because they have to try and fit into the small peg and hole of linear temporal time of which they're not here to be that. So we just, our, our consciousness is squeezed from different places in how our light moves in the manifestation, which is our work, it's our work. Do you wanna talk about how your body has changed as a result of being, having illuminated experiences and how language has changed your body physically? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I am 60. I'm an old athlete, like elite athlete. I was on competed at the national level in martial arts. And I I absolutely have no I have multiple surgeries in my body, but I am so embodied and I have no arthritis, no chronicity in my body. So I'm like, that's interesting until I do, but I don't. And I would say this, there's something about the illuminations that, oh my goodness, I can eat anything because, <laughs> because I think I'm burning a lot of energy. So I can eat anything. And I always have easily eaten anything, but I can really eat anything now. Wow. I know it's just a, a bare fact of being in the manifestation, but the, the bones, the tissue, what have you, right? It could look different. It could look like they're stretched in some way. And that has not been my experience. That's not to say it couldn't be somebody else's experience, but not mine. I wonder if it has to do with, I've had a lot of people talk to me on these shows about frequencies. Yes. I'm wondering if you're, when you're doing, you're having illumination or these 92 experiences, your body is vibrating under a different frequency and that frequency may be prone to making a healthier, you know, arthritis free or- Right, or inflammatory free, right, or, or, in another person, it could be the opposite. That frequency, you know, doesn't get laid down in the body as easily and there's a fight. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know, but what I could say with the question is, I feel quite fortunate at my age to feel as though every day I get up and I have no ache or pain. And- Yay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I, I'm not saying that has the, it. It's just how it's worked in my body, and of course, I came into the world transcendent dreaming. So that may have been a mother language for the body all along. The way that you describe the Caro um, people—they're not I-oriented. They're we-oriented. They live in the moment. They live in uh, uh, honor and respect of nature and the world. Um, many other qualities. 
Yes. Are there any people left on the planet that could model that for us? The Caro are no longer a community. I agree. I agree. They, in the early 90s, released their prophecy that they're dying out, and they are indeed dying out. As you know, my godson died, and uh, there have been multiple deaths in my 30 years of the masters. So even the young medicine people are not carrying the oral tradition. They are dying out. And there are not many people who live in that space. I, I think of the Aborigines, you know, New Zealand, Australia, who have that same somatic sensory felt sense movement, but they don't have the construct of time that Carol have and have had. So it's a very unique window and it is, it, like many things gonna fall away. And yet there are some of us who have deeply experienced it and have embodied it at a deep love that may be a mouthpiece for it to move forward. And I think that is why they released the prophecy because they knew they were gonna die out. Do you see yourself as a lineage holder of the Caro tradition? It, that is too conceptualized for me. Um, Seems like you're the only one left who was in that it, culture. It's too conceptualized. There are many who have been wedded and beloved to them, but as teachers in the world, they all have their own agenda and a different. And I would say this, a seed has been deeply sown in my light body of this tradition of which I illuminate. Thank you. Because it's so beautiful. Yes. I see that in you. <laughs> yes. I really see you. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> Gail, you want to ask your question? Well, I have a couple of questions. Um, one of them has to do with the intimacy that you had with this. I, I feel like I'm sharing this experience with you that I don't have a lot of sisters I can say that we can talk about this with. Yes, yes, but, it's a sisterhood. Yes, but in we're, we're going to talk about sex, right? Yes, two yes. different aspects of sex. The first being, what was it? I'll tell you what it was like for me, and I'd like to know what it was like for you to become in relationship intimately with someone who's an indigenous person. Yes, living in you know. So for me, it was a Weechol Indian man whose name was Miguel. Oh, my God, son. Oh, I know. my God. He's not with us anymore. And he looked, I think when I met him, he might have been 50, and I was probably in my late 30s. But he looked like he was 25. So yes. I never believed that he was this age. But right, right. Anyways, but he was. And I had never, at, at the time, I was... Uh, I was really searching and in need of, of certain things to heal myself. 
and going and being with them was really, I was dealing with cancer and blah, blah, blah. The help and experience I had submerging myself and leaving my beautiful home here and going and washing my clothes on the rocks in the middle of a mountain that- Yes, right, right. Elevation. Yes. I get it, I get it. And, you know, I brought my father there once and he said, I, he, could, he was in shock that I would be so happy in this situation that's taken away everything that's your normal comforts of life, including what kind of food you eat, you know, down to basics, a toilet. I mean, there's no running water there. There's, there's no toilet and in a bed. There's no bed. And there's no bed. You're sleeping on the ground. Right. So I'm having a sexual relationship with a Weechol Indian man. And I find the sexual experience entirely different than sex that I've had with people in, they might be from other countries, but not a culture. Like this was a different culture. Yes. And also of a very ancient um, uh, group of people from thousands of years ago. So I found the sex to be very different. It was, it was more like I was having energy, not physical body sex. Something energy. I mean, physically, we yes, yes, looks yes. like sex. I completely understand. But completely it wasn't the oh, I'm going to come. Oh, I'm having an orgasm. It was some other thing that would happen, and I've never had that with other people. It's not, and I'm not saying like oh, it was better than any sex or anything. It was. It just was very different, and it felt like I was having sex with energy, not with bodies. Oh, Gail, I I love that because you just put language to my own experience. My own experience is very similar to this, very similar. And that intimacy of sex and climax with energy at a soul level is so different than our everyday sexual experience. It's so hard to put language to it. And when you don't speak the, their language and they don't speak yours. I didn't it, speak it, we show, he doesn't it's speak an, English. It's an, it's, it truly is. At a deeper vein of gold, a union that is going on on energetic and the somatic sensory level. And it is not like normal sex in our everyday world. I uh, thank you because you just, like I would never have been able to say that. So I love hearing, uh, it, I'm not the only one that it's a different experience. And I don't, it's not, it's not better than or less than. Right. It, it's different. completely different, completely different. Well, you're the first woman that I could talk to about to have to show well, our sisters who have the same sort of thing. Yes. And then I have one other sexual question, which is actually on a whole nother spectrum. Yes. Sex with, I was a very sexually active person. That's why I could say to you, when I say I've never had that with other people, I've had a hundred people to pick from that I could say I've had sex with, and it was nothing like with Miguel in the Wheat Shoal country. I, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank so, you. My next question comes with present day sex. Yes. Which is, I mean, I'm figuring 
well, I've been through menopause and all these other things. And I'm thinking, well, my sexual energy is going to disappear or whatever they tell you. Everybody always says these things. Oh, yeah, you're getting older. You. I think I remember my first husband, when I was telling him I was still having sex, he said, you still do that? You know, <laughs> like some people don't even think as you get older, you're you're sexual. Oh, and then there are people in their 70s and 80s who are having beloved sex. So, right. so that's me. And I'm planning, if I make it into my 80s, I'll still be having fabulous sex. Good for you. But Good for you. For the first time I have, and I don't know if it's because it's monogamous. I don't know. But I ended up with my husband, David. He's the only person I've had sex with for the last 30 years. The 30 years prior to that, I had so many different people. <laughs> yeah. so I, I, I don't know if this has to do with it, but this has to do with language. And the question is, and I haven't had, you know, I've gone on porn sites. I don't see this. I've asked other people. They don't say to me, oh, yeah, that happens to me, too. But I have a feeling you'll have some information for this. Probably will, because I have lots of young males who tell me all about their porn sites. And okay. their sites. So. <laughs> so when I have sex with my husband, I have these, I can't even call them orgasms because they're past orgasms. Yeah, so I have this amazing physical, pleasurable thing that's so intense that I end up speaking in tongue. And I don't know, but as the orgasm is climaxing or the thing is going on, my mouth just opens and all these amazing sounds come out. And my husband keeps saying, if I'd only have a tape recorder right by my side at that moment, you know, because <laughs> he's the only one that's my witness to that. I'm not making this up, you know. But I have long conversations that I don't know who their words are. I don't know what language Gail, Gail, this is the window and opening to the mediumship. This is the illumination. The sex is the liquid light that is opening up the, your mediumship. How beautiful is that? I, I feel like I want to share this with other women because I hear women say, oh, yeah, I'm not into sex anymore. Oh, I don't like sex. And I'm like, you're missing out on this amazing experience. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it can't be. And I didn't have that in my teenage years. I didn't have that right. in my early 30s. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's so, many, so, so much self-consciousness that happens. But there's something in this union that is opening the liquid light of sex to the illumination of where your mediumship gets to flow. And that is extraordinary and a gift. Mm -hmm. And it's different, right? It's different. Very different. I asked a Mongolian shaman about this because I wanted to know how did shamans relate to sex? Because I'm interested in sex about because of my experiences. And, and like, everyone should be right. We're sexual beings. Liquid light of sex. It's our I light. Love that word. It's our light. Well, I got a lot of that one. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so she said to me, and I felt so much better after she said this. I said, "So, what is your sex life?" This is the woman who initiated initiated me as a Mongolian shaman in yes. 2012, and I asked her, "What does she, with an interpreter, how does she experience sex?" And she said, one sentence, a shaman must have a sex partner that's 20 years younger to keep up. 
as we would say in our culture, a cougar. <laughs> so that's the end of my sex stories and questions. Oh, the medicine of the cougar. <laughs> and I want to say we have about 15 minutes left for our, our show. And I want to make sure that we get all the questions that we can possibly get in. But um, those are- I don't know. That that was a, that's a beautiful ending right there. But okay, I'm ready. Okay, I have- <laughs> One question about the world right now. And yes. I also would like to know, there's a question here about who is your new book for? And okay. I think that might be a good question to possibly, you know, kind of tie up with, but there's, you know, I'm in the midst here. I'm doing Zoom. I'm, I'm a Zoom person. I've never ordered things online. I'm not like a computery person. I'm learning the new ways. And now I've seen I've become like what I wanted my children not to be, which is addicted to the telephone. <laughs> so I'm always got the telephone and I'm, you know, and, and then I'm seeing all my relationships are going through this telephone, but we're not picking it up and calling the people anymore. Uh, yes, yes. Everything is typing. Yes. But so our words aren't being spoken. They're being like this. Yes. And it sometimes the person on the other end thinks you insulted them, but that's not really what you meant. But yeah. they're not getting it from you. They're not seeing your face. They're not. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a dialogue. It's a monologue. Exactly. And I'm yes. thinking that this is a downfall. Like not. A, I mean, I love all the technology and all the wonderful things and blah, blah, blah. But I'm thinking that this is making us like we're not having friendships the way we did. We're, well, I'll text you or I'll, you know. Oh, we can have a Zoom visit. You know what I mean? Or do you want a FaceTime or whatever? What yeah, we don't, we, don't, we don't pick up the phone. We do yeah. not pick up the phone. So do, so do you see that as part of that when we're saying, you're saying that we're at a dark time right now? Is this feeding into that dark time by separating us more from each other? Yeah. And then we had COVID, right? So yeah. separated us more. It brought technology forward. This is what I would say. Um, I could go down a line that from them, starting with the millennials who only know texting, that don't pick up the phone, that truly as a genre are short of some social skills because they are, they are transactional. They are not relational. They're not heart-based relational. And the Gen Zs are a little better, but we are down a line with technology and we have artificial intelligence now coming up, which is just going to keep us down the line. So I could say that is a peril, but I could also say this. There is something like my young men, Gen Z and millennial, engineers who are into AI, who are obsessed about it. I'm watching because, I, because I'm like, oh gosh, I just don't even know. This is not nature-based. So I'm so nature-based. I have a little bit of a, mm, but I'm, I always remain open. I'm married to AI. <laughs> but, but what I'm witnessing is their, the quantum nature of their brain is being awakened through this technology. Through AI? Yes, through AI. And even 
the gaming, you know, like all of these young men are all gamers and whatever the gaming is, I'm like, I have a young man that I had to see through a head injury and I have monitored his progress through his obsession with gaming. And the more he's, because I know nothing about it, the more he talks about it, I'm watching how his awareness can be in multiple places at the same time. And he's, he's exceedingly bright. Um, but I, I, it's given me pause to have a strong opinion about technology. I hate technology. This is the first Zoom I've done in three years. I do not like, I do not like, I have an allergy to technology. And yet I am witnessing in this younger generation the quantum possibility of their consciousness awakening through technology. My concern is what about connection to nature and the rest of life? And is this just some weird time in the manifestation where we don't get both? We just don't get both. But it does, wor- it worries me. It. And we're going to go down this line. It's really clear we're going to go down this line. And I'm always going to be here to come back to the oneness and connectedness to all of life. I'm just going to be the megaphone for that because I think we have a generation that is more disconnected and I live urban. So um, I might feel that more, but I doubt it. I think there's a disconnection. At, at, and yet there's a quantum nature unfolding in the mind with technology. Well, I've experienced some of the younger people in my family. Yes. Really young because I have them come and when one of my nieces has a baby, I plant their placenta under a tree here and they all have to come and uh, put up. With I, love it. I love it. I love it. Shamanic ceremonies. And I just did one last week for my mom who had passed on. The yes. And we went to her gravesite and uh, we all were there as a family. There was 22 of us, ages, two years old, up to me when I realized I was the oldest one now on the West Coast. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you are the new ceiling. You're yeah. the new ceiling. And our group are, you know, New Yorker, Jewish, New York is a lot of talking. It's very hard to get them to be quiet, but they actually were quiet and went in a circle. And I showed that, I said to them, I just want you all to close your eyes. And as they closed their eyes, I said, I just want you to envision uh, mommy's or grandma's uh, spirit just floating up into the heavens. Just imagine her floating up into the heavens. And I played my jaw harp and smudged with sage that I'd grown myself. So I feel really connected. Yes, yes. her, Her grave with flowers all from my garden. And I brought pottery that I put the flowers in that I had made. But when I played the jaw harp, they all became completely quiet, closed their eyes, and participated in this ceremony. Yes, song. What I'm trying to say is that it's hard for me to go into a group like your family and show them who you are in that. Yes. And um, so I keep them short because I don't know what they can handle, 
But afterwards, one of the young little guys who's 12, I think, my, my niece's son, came up to me and he said, that sound, I love that sound. It was like from another world. And his dad came, he said, what? Because they had their eyes closed, so they didn't know that it was a jaw harp. Where is that worldly sound coming from? Right, the sound, the sound, the word, the word, the sound, the yes. sounding, the sounding of creation. So I'm just hoping in my own little way here between my podcasts and having my family come for me burying placentas and uh, doing ceremonies at all, you know, at every memorial, I I do my own blessing ceremony thing. Yes. They're all now getting used to it, but I like that it's planting something in those six-year-olds and 10-year-olds and the little- It is. And, and and you're saying this makes me feel, yes, Gail, you have to keep doing that. We, we have to keep doing it. It is why we are on the planet at this age, because this younger generation is learning something new, but they are disconnected from, from that wisdom of which we are connected to and is so important for the whole of the, of the planet. When I did this with one, with, I had done this for every child and we wait for the child to come to plant the tree. So they're usually mm -hmm. bigger. Not one of them ever reacted like this one, my niece's um, little guy came and I think he was four. And when I started the ceremony, he just turned into a Buddha. I mean, he just like embraced. He uh, because he's four, he's four. He's, he's four. And his parents were shocked. Everyone was like, Wow, he was really into the ceremony. <laughs> because he's four. It's before the culture takes over. Exactly. It's beautiful. Beautiful. So, I want to go back to your book because we kind of wind down now. We've got a few minutes left. And I'd like, I always like to close with words of wisdom. If you want to tell anything about who you feel your book is for, or <laughs> words of wisdom, or Juliet, anything here. This is, I'm not talking, it's the, it's your guys finishing, okay? <laughs> uh, Juliet, do you have any other questions? I Who's just it? wanted to speak about the um, bird song strikes my retina. Yes. Pageant of color. Yes. I smell the magical tones of the wind. I hear a great fugue repeated, harmonized greens of the forest, the cadence of stormy skies. So beautiful. And illumination, that increase in the energy, synesthesia of the senses, yes. where, where it all unfolds differently. And I'm gonna come back to the autistic speakers, non-speakers who are trying to language this experience as well, where the, the senses are no longer individuated. And it's extraordinary. It's a gift. It's a different structure of awareness and conditioning in the cellular nature of the body. So thank you for bringing that up. You so who is your new book for? <laughs> who, yeah, who is my new book for? Yes. <laughs> I have it right here. I know it's for me. <laughs> <laughs> I ran out of water. 
it is for everyone. Whoever has experienced from the spoken word or written word, a line that there's full body chills, there the hair goes up on your neck, where your somatic sensory system absorbs the line. That is who this book is really for. And it's for any writer that wants to speak from a deeper place where the word has more power. And apparently, I didn't know this, the book's only been out since March. Apparently this world is speaking to autistic non-speakers and their parents who are reading it to them of whom they all feel like this is a mother language for them. So I think this book, like Transcendent Dreaming, is a part of a, a, a future unfolding, a new threshold of tomorrow. And who it speaks to is it's captivating to me, and it's unfolding as we speak. And having said that, the book is on Amazon. It's at our website, christinadenell.com, The Winds of Change Books. And for those of you listening to the podcast, this is what sowing seeds of consciousness as farmers is about, sowing these seeds of love. And the book is one of those seeds. It certainly is. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank are we good? So I've had just an absolutely. I feel, I feel like I'm glowing from the conversation. So I yeah, I love being with my sisters. This is so much fun. I feel like we're in San Francisco together, all of you. Well, <laughs> when if you're ever coming, I I know you're so busy. I don't. Do you do teaching anymore? Are you doing? Not really. Anymore? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, who see? Who, who knows? But you never not know. really. Ask I can I can do this you. now. <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna close our show now if we're all ready to say yes. so long all right okay so just stay right there and hold on with us and i love both of you deeply thank you gracious how what a gift to be together thank you yes yeah very fun very fun and it shows years don't matter when we haven't seen each other. The connection. I know, I know. Like, like seriously. Yes. So I want to thank all our listeners for joining us today on a small, medium, at large podcast. Remember that stories can heal and share your stories because you don't know what other things you're going to learn when you share stories with others. Have a great day. And we look forward to seeing you at our next show. Bye. Bye.